if you look at corporate culture, leadership ha has a huge impact and, and I would argue builds culture in a way. And in my book, leadership is, is what it's about setting the agenda, prioritizing work, managing, leading, delegate, delegating projects and, and, and work. So it's, it's important on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's also important to provide a, a sense of a joint vision. Um, um, and, and, and I mean, let's say the modern word of, of purpose, uh, right? Um, and, and I think that's important to, to also inspire the team to follow a, a route. Um, and I think that's, that's very important. And I think looking at MPCC, um, for me, at least leadership means leading by, by example and, and inspire by leading with a clear vision. And at the same time, on the cultural side, uh, I see culture as, as a, let's say, pattern of, let's say, joint beliefs or shared beliefs in the way we get things done. Konstantin Bach has been the CEO of MPC Containerships since the foundation of the company in 2017. He has held various management positions in Germany and abroad and has a strong passion for business, shipping and tennis. Luckily, we managed to cover all areas in our conversation. Let's hear from our sponsors. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q-U-A-R-T-R. All opinions expressed by Christopher Vornheim or his guests on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of BIN. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christophe Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This episode is produced by William Fransen. Let the episode begin. Welcome back, everyone. Super excited to be joined by Constantine. And Constantine, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks. Nice to that you have me, Christopher, and looking forward to, to the discussion. Likewise. I know it's going back a bit, but first memory of shipping or finance. How old are you in that moment? Well, my father was in shipping, so I have a bit of a, uh, let's say, shipping uh, DNA uh, inside. Um, and certainly finance, I mean, that goes back uh, quite a while. But uh, I mean, shipping certainly from, from the young days, I would say. So obviously you are in Germany. Maybe spend just two minutes explaining the city and also the relationship between the city and shipping because there's a strong connection there. Absolutely. Uh, so I was born in Hamburg. Um, I grew up in Hamburg um, and uh, now I live in Hamburg with my family. I have been out of Hamburg for a while to, to Sydney and Shanghai, but, but Hamburg is, in shipping terms, the capital of Germany, uh, um, if not together with Rotterdam of, of Europe. So 
Um, actually, from my uh, office here, I can look at the at the port. I can see container ships. I can see the terminal. So um, obviously, shipping is all around, and in particular, container shipping when you talk in Hamburg terms. Definitely. And is it fair also to add on the cruise industry from a Hamburg perspective? Yes. I mean, the cruise industry has, uh, we actually had a, had a new cruise terminal just built, I would say, three, four years ago. That obviously has uh, slowed down somewhat with the pandemic, um, in, in contrast to, to containers at least. Um, so, but yes, I can also look actually, I can see the cruise terminal as well from my window here. Where are Germany in terms of, if we lift this up to uh, a green discussion in terms of energy, batteries, etc., and also that, you know, the, uh, the ports need to facilitate this new technology. Do you see anything that gets you very excited in terms of fuel savings, etc., that will be relevant for cruise and shipping? Well, uh, I mean, obviously, this is uh, this is currently all all over the place, to put it that way. I think uh, it, it still lacks somewhat of a, of a fully structured approach. Uh, I think everyone knows things have to change, and and the shipping industry in particular um, will will see a significant transition over the next five ten years, and that applies to the terminal, so so the port, um, as well as the the vessels on 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 the oceans. I think in Germany, there has been quite a green push already. Um, you know, five to ten years back, um, when when you know there was an exit from nuclear decided by by Angela Merkel, um, and, and now we have uh, 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 at least you know a government that includes the Greens. So so there's uh, there's certainly more initiatives to to come our way, um, not just in shipping, but more general in terms of the green transition. And uh, I think it's going to be exciting. Um, it's necessary, but it also needs to be organized and structured uh, properly. And I think there's still a way to go. Couldn't agree more. Just one minute or two minutes on Sydney. What's the best part of Sydney? Is it the beaches, the surfing, or is it just the experience of going abroad that helps you regardless in your career and life, I guess? Um, I mean, uh, Sydney was, uh, I did my master's there. So I, I worked besides for a shipping line, actually, for a container shipping line for Hamburg Suit when I was in Sydney. Um, obviously, the beaches is something you need to mention. And I, I, I would not be honest if I, I'd say that the beaches weren't a key ingredient of my time in Sydney, um, of course. Um, I wasn't that much of a surfer. I tried my best. Uh, didn't Didn't make it, I would say, with all the let's say, uh, well-built Aussies around me, uh, they certainly did a better job on the, on the surfing board. Yet, um, I mean, the city is just fantastic. It's wa water all over the place. Um, and it's, it's a good mix of, of let's say, the, the leisure and, and relaxedness of, uh, of the Aussies uh, combined with, you know, uh, also some, you know, central business district flavor. So I think it was a pretty, pretty decent time I had there. And if it's okay with you, I think we'll leave the Australian open outside of this podcast, right? The regulations and rules, or do you have any strong opinions you want to share about that? Uh, well, not, not, not really, but obviously as a German, I followed Alexander Zverev who, uh, who lost um, um, just recently, um, pretty clear. Um, so it was high hopes and, and I obviously followed it a lot, including the, the Djokovic, uh, um, let's say, situation because I play tennis myself um, and, and I'm passionate about tennis. So um, it's something that uh, despite the, let's say, a time difference, I, I, I tend to follow these days. Very interesting. Tennis is great. Uh, let's go over to shipping. 
if we start very broadly, if you had to give a lecture in shipping, and of course you can, you can take one class in shipping and one class in container, where do you start for someone who wants to learn about shipping? What do you think are the key ingredients to teach someone who wants to get involved in shipping? Well, I think it's it's important to understand the different sectors, uh, obviously, and how, how they are related, unrelated, because if people talk of shipping, they always say dry bulk tankers and containers. And I think containers in particular is, is, is not only shipping. It, it's part of a very complex supply chain and logistical chain. And I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that later on, because I think the, the last 12, 18 months have shown how vulnerable the supply chain is and how important it is for the global economy. So I think the to, the, to get the understanding of shipping's role in the overall economy is, is, is quite important from a, let's say, um, high-level standpoint. And, and more operationally, obviously, to really be on board of a ship and understand how it works um, uh, is, is, is very interesting and important as well. So you, you have those two layers. I mean, I would say from a global economy down to the, to the, let's say, main engine or auxiliary engine on board of a ship, I think this is what is fascinating about shipping, and this is how how to actually learn the the full, you know, you know the, the broad range of uh, of shipping activity as such. Is it a too simple or too easy to say that containers should be the easiest part of shipping to understand because of the raw numbers? If you, if you compare it to tankers, right? It seems like tankers you really need to understand everything all the time. While container, you should be able to forecast the general trend to maybe a larger extent. Yeah, I think it's it's just different drivers, right? Um, I think tanker, in terms of you know the operations around the vessel, is certainly more complex because you're you're, you're handling you know a liquid um, and 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 you know the the safety requirements have have been stricter. I mean, obviously things are getting uh, balanced out o- over time. But I think container shipping, uh, because the economy is so global, it's it's not only point to point, right? Tankers and dry bulk is point to point. So you load it and you you discharge it and, and that's it. Um, and then it's someone else's problem, so to say, uh, or, or, or not. Um, and in container shipping, it's the complexity of the supply chain that in my book is is very delicate. And if you look at the pure value of goods, I mean, container shipping accounts by far for the biggest transported goods by by value, um, because it's it's the most valuable goods that are being transported by uh, in containers. So, if you look at like let's say ninety percent of, of of transported goods are transported by sea, and out of that sixty percent is transported in containers, and value wise, it's it's even more. So I think it's um, it's also the supply chain, the the pr- production chain just in time, just in sequence delivery of, of, of parts into a production chain, which makes container shipping um, or container transportation extremely complex. Um, so I think the drivers behind it is probably, you know, the oil price peaks and, and has its own dynamics, uh, yet the complexity of the goods and the services and then also the production behind container shipping, I would argue is even more complex. Um, as we see over the last 12, 18 months, as I said, you know, a disruption in the supply chain creates complete chaos globally and impacts the whole economy and not just one part of it. Definitely. If we use uh, the lecture as an analogy and you had to present the business case, you probably did in your mind in 2017, maybe it's also relevant to add on to separate the containers from you know, the feeder market to the more broader market where you have Maersk, et cetera. How would you break that down? 
Well, obviously, if you look at the um, at the container market, it it basically starts uh, if you want so in in a factory, right, or, or somewhere where a good is 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 produced. Uh, it goes on on a truck, um, and container shipping is part of an intermodal supply chain. So so you look at truck, rail, and the sea voyage, and I think that is important. And on a sea voyage, you have smaller legs feeding legs, so to feed into the hubs. Um, this is where our vessels are involved, or intra-regional traffic, where regions are interconnected, in particular, intra-Asia or intra-Americas, intra-Europe. And this is where our vessels operate. And, and, and they either feed into the hubs for the very large ships, uh, 13, 20, 24,000 TU um, vessels, and this is how it's organized. So it's a it's a well-established hub-spoke system. Uh, so feeding into the hubs, as well as a, a interconnectivity of uh, regions. And I think especially, and that's worth highlighting, this interconnectivity has increased over the last decade significantly um, with more and more, let's say, smaller economies also um, exporting a lot of goods or being part of a production supply chain in a way. And I think this is what makes uh, container shipping so exciting is the interconnectivity of this world, um, um, which, which has fueled the growth in terms of globalization and economic uh, wealth, uh, but is also vulnerable to, um, to disruption in a way. Maybe it's, it's easier for people to also understand this by mentioning cities, right? Because you have the traditional routes and maybe the feeding routes is a bit different. So maybe we can add that on to the argument for people to understand you know the cities and the and the routes basically no absolutely and if if you look at the i mean the the main lane trades where the big ships operate are the so called east west trades so it's basically uh china particularly shanghai uh to um either the us um and this is where you know the 13000 15000 tu vessels go or um china to europe for example, Hamburg. I mean, to Hamburg, the, the largest ships on this globe go to Hamburg. Uh, they just passed by my office, uh, to be to be frank. Um, not fully loaded because of uh, you know draft restrictions here in, in the Elbe River. Um, yet they go here. So it's it, it's really the these east-west routes where vessels operate with only five six port calls, um, and then you know the boxes get um, carried onwards by smaller vessels. Uh, and these are the vessels where we focus on. So it's feeding into those hubs or from those hubs, centralizing or decentralizing cargo streams, or as I said, connecting intra-regional ports like in, in Asia to have a string down the coast of, of China um, and up again, um, or connecting Southeast Asia with uh, mainland China, uh, or connecting, for example, the South America, the Caribbean with uh, mainland, uh, mainland US. Um, so, so there's a lot of kind of the big hubs, um, and, and those are, are dominating the large ships or are being dominated by the large ships. And then everything else that is interconnected with uh, smaller trades. If you look at your company, how do you summarize that value creation from 2017 to 2022? Because it's quite remarkable if you look at the numbers, right? The value creation of that. So in hindsight, was it? It's never easy, right? But does it? How how was the feeling structuring this in 2017 and getting to this point? which has to be quite remarkable. If you take the value creation, it, it can't be that many cases who, which has provided these amount of value for such a, so few years, basically. 
No, I, I agree. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really fascinating to look at the company where we are today, uh, not even five years old, 1.5 billion in, in market cap. And we have been the you know, best performing stock last year on, on the whole also stock exchange with 330 uh, different names. So, so that's, that's something certainly to, to be proud of for the whole team um, here at MPC. I think it's, it's worthwhile to say, you know, although the company itself started on a blank sheet of paper, the background is the MPC group, right? So, um, and the MPC group um, um, is is basically family-owned, yet stock-listed in Frankfurt, um, with uh, a long experience in real assets and in particular in container shipping. So, I think it's important to understand the fundament that this didn't come overnight. So, we really, with a team of professionals, we prepared this. Uh, um, let's say this story and this this entry into the space with this new company for quite some time. Obviously, in shipping, it's always about market timing. It's about you know having the right entry price, and and I think our analysis was right um, to that that at least the entry price was good. What happened thereafter, obviously, was a bit of a roller coaster, admittedly, because things didn't you know move um, in the same kind of uh, you know way that we had expected it yet when we did it 2017 raised the first 100 million we um, said it's a three to five year recovery um, and rebalancing of supply and demand particularly favorable for the smaller uh, vessel sizes so so we we basically saw you know um, a rebalancing and then obviously you had trade war you had the initial phase of COVID, which which led to quite a setback with with you know, lockdowns, etc. And now we are obviously in a environment that is the, the best container market in history. And to be positioned to benefit, to get the full leverage from that with a sizable fleet of 66 ships is obviously fantastic. Um, and, and we are now able to lock in long-term cash flow. So I think it's uh, it has been an, an, a fantastic journey uh, so far. I think it was also a, a tough ride at times. Um, um, yet, I think we have been able to build a company from a blank sheet of paper. Um, maybe in in startup terms, you would call it a unicorn uh, to 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 something of 1.5 billion market cap, um, with a, a kind of equity raise of of just a shade below 500 million. So so I think that um, that is a very you know good story in my view and something we want to continue to build upon uh, and uh, and take it from there. Couldn't agree more. I think it's super impressive. If we take the uh, the Ray Dalio quote that, you know, pain plus reflection equals progress, in what time was it most painful for you? Is it negotiating with bondholders? Is it being close to bankruptcy? Can you give us an example or a period where you felt some pain being the CEO and responsible for this? <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously pain is, is, is easier, you know, taken uh, with the team. And we have, a, we have a fantastic team here at MPC. So I think that's, that's obviously someone stands out by by virtue of role and having to take these these negotiations um and and certainly the phase where you were unable to first of all visit people uh, and had to negotiate with them and look at these black screens on on teams where where you know you, you definitely have the camera on but everyone else might not and and you need to convey a message in times where the visibility in the especially the early phase of covid was I mean, no one knew what tomorrow would bring, right? Um, I, I think that was a, a convincing people of something you didn't really know yourself. 
um, because no one did um, at that point in time. And asking for concessions, that certainly was a, I would say, painful period of time. And that was the, the let's say, first half of 2020 in particular. Um, but then I think we uh, we were able to convince everyone that, that it, it's something that is has never been there in history, and and we we jointly need to position ourselves to 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 weather the storm, and and so we did. And I think in hindsight, everyone um, you know all the bondholders got repaid, even at a premium. Um, you know the equity holders had their had their um, uh, their recovery, and and now a very strong market. So I think overall it was worth the pain, so to say, but it was uh, definitely an intense period of time that um, that I certainly will not forget in my life. Is it fair to say that these periods are inevitable in shipping, maybe compared to, you know, a SaaS company in year five to 10, right? So if you're scaling the right way, you should be on the trajectory, but obviously we're going to talk about the cyclical nature of shipping, but isn't it fair to say that these periods are inevitable if you play this game long enough or... At least they they can happen, and you should expect them to happen. Um, that's that's how how I would put it. I mean, you, you can obviously be lucky and uh, and and just you know hit the wave at the right point in time. I mean, I, I would say in hindsight we hit the wave at a good point in time um, because obviously um, you know in the beginning things moved into the right direction, and then we had trade war and beginning of COVID, and, and now, you know, we, we are riding the wave. So I think it's it's about being prepared for the unexpected um, and make sure that you do not over-level your company, for example, that you maintain some sort of flexibility. And, and you know, we had a fairly low leverage, actually, financial leverage, uh, even when we went into the more difficult times in the beginning of COVID. Um, and I think that was, in, in hindsight, the only reason why we were able to to maneuver through it. Yet it was tough times. So I think you should expect the unexpected, um, and then you're well prepared in shipping. So today, is it? I mean, it's a great growth story, obviously, but it's very hard to repeat that exercise the next five years in terms of the return on investment, or it should be very hard, right? So. Take us to today. You obviously are very positive, optimistic about the future, and you have, uh, I mean, the contracts also, you know, implies that you should be. But just explain how hard it is this next challenge coming up for that return on investment because you can't replicate that or copy it. No, no, you can't. But I think in, in, in shipping in particular, it's about being very rational in your decisions. And, and uh, you know, it's not about growth. It, it's not all about growth. Uh, I, I think to have a, a certain size, especially if you want to be listed and want to really have a, a stock that is worthwhile for investors and for the company, um, it's important to be very clear in, in, in what to do. And, and in shipping, there are times when you when you have to grow and invest and deploy capital and that has to be well timed and then there's time to to return capital to investors and to be also very clear and transparent about it and uh, at least in in my book now is the time to return capital to investors and now is the time to to really um do you know walk the talk as we did on the strategy we walked the talk we said we will buy ships in that segment uh, we didn't deviate from that path. We bought ships at what I would say attractive prices, and now you know we will return capital to investors, and we will be very 
selective and disciplined on growth. That doesn't mean we will not do any growth measures by, by buying new ships or the like, but we will be very disciplined and, and, and rational about it. Um, and currently, clearly, the focus is on returning capital to investors. And I think that's what people can expect. Um, and I think if people know what to expect, then, you know, if someone enters now, they shouldn't expect overnight 20% return. They should expect a very visible and tangible path to dividends and distributions. Uh, and I would argue last year, we have been the best performing stock from a growth standpoint. So, so appreciation and value. If you run the numbers, uh, and I haven't compared that with you know everyone who's listed, but I would argue this year and going forward, we will be a very strong dividend stock. So, so it's really time to, to, to take what is on the table. And I think now there is clear cash flows to investors on the table a very high dividend yield um, and that's uh, that's what we're here for and that's what people can expect uh just final theme i'm trying to put you up for a smash here if you use the tennis as an analogy so how do we solve and map out global pollution and maritime hazards and maybe you can introduce also the passion you have for that problem yes it's a it's it's a very very good point and it's it is a huge problem right people Currently, everyone is focusing on energy transition, decarbonization, et cetera. I think there, there are also, I mean, it's an important scheme, but, but I'm unable to tackle it on my own. So it, it needs to be well-organized and structured, as we said earlier. On the maritime pollution, um, um, for me, this is a very important topic. Um, and it's a topic that lacks transparency. And, and that's also, I'm, I'm engaged as an ambassador at, at ICs which is a, an, an organization which has developed a, an app. It's a nonprofit organization that has developed an app um, that uh, kind of tracks maritime pollution. Um, you can just take a photo, it gets geotagged um, and it's visible. And you can basically you know, bring transparency on the coastline, but also on, on deep sea uh, waters. Um, and you can actually organize cleanups. And, and what we try to achieve is the industry to help the industry in a way, right? Uh, because you need people who are engaged, you need the crew to take pictures, um, you need to organize cleanups later on. So this is, we're, we're still at a, I would say early stage, yet the app is functioning. Uh, and I think it's it's so important to bring transparency into this um, because that is a starting point to address it. Um, and it's probably easier to be addressed than uh, than the decarbonization of uh, of this globe, um, because it just needs efforts. People can just, you know, once you're hands on, you can do it. Um, and and this is why I personally, I'm personally engaged uh, quite a bit with that organization, which which was, you know, founded by by Graham Somerville Arnold. He, he he's a he's a fantastic guy, um, and he pushes this forward. And and I'm very excited about it. Uh, but there's still work to be done there as well, obviously. I wish I knew more about the results from, you know, the ocean cleanups, et cetera, which are highly, you know, relevant or, or visible in the news media. But what are you seeing as the biggest hurdles? Because identifying shouldn't be the, I know it's the hurdle, right? But it shouldn't be the hardest problem to solve. It should probably be the technology that makes this efficient process. I'm just guessing, of course, but... Yeah, but it, but it's, it's really, I mean, people need to engage and you need to, I mean, people need to use this app I mean, as an example, I mean, maybe there, there are other apps as well, but the ICs, app, if, if people use it as they use uh, Instagram or TikTok, you know, if it has to be part of your day-to-day -day life. And, and, and once that, that is adopted and, and people accept it 
and you know it's maybe not as joyful to take a picture of a, a fisher net or of plastic waste uh, on the beach than you know doing your your TikTok dance. But it's 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 very important, and I think we need to make it part of the you know the way people use their mobile. Um, and and then I think with the transparency. I think to to organize the cleanups then is is not the biggest challenge. Um, I think to have this transparency, to have more data points, to have a fairly good view on 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 this world, and there are obviously countries where it's probably a bit more cumbersome, where you don't get the support, where people don't want to have pictures of their port being, you know, completely full of waste. It's also a lot of political tension that needs to be addressed. So. Um, that is also something to overcome. Um, so if everyone was for transparency, if everyone was engaged, it would be easy. Um, but this is the, the biggest hurdle in my book. It's, it's a very good point because maybe it, it was, it's a better way of saying this. This is actually like a cultural thing as well. People need to care, right? Because people, if people don't have strong incentives, usually they don't bother, right? Yes. Absolutely. That's that's actually better phrase than what I said. Uh, but exactly, um, that that hits the nail on the on the head. Well, I think that's a perfect ending, Constantine. It was a pleasure finally having you on the show, and I hope we can do this again in the future one day. Christopher, many thanks uh, that that you uh, took the time to discuss with me container shipping, uh, uh, pollution, and and everything, and obviously. Uh, tennis to some extent um, uh, looking forward to catch up again and thanks for having me if you like this episode and the content we create please make sure to check out our newsletter called the bin letter more information is in the show notes this episode was produced by William Fransen <laughs>